So as you may know, we're in the midst of this Ready for More campaign as a church community. And as part of this giving campaign, it's, we're thinking that it's, more, it's about more than just giving money to a building. But it's also about the kind of people that we want to be as followers of Jesus. And it's about the kind of community of faith that we want to be building here at this church. And so we've been looking at the lives that we're building together in part of this sermon series through the Giving Campaign. And last week, Phil illustrated for us a life of service as defined by Jesus' interactions with his disciples and the instruction that the greatest must become the least. And this week, we'll be talking about what a life of faith feels like and looks like for us as we continue on in this journey together. So I'm actually curious about what you came up with. What were some of the things that you said, that's what a life of faith looks like. That really defines it for me. Any, any brave people who want to share their answers? Unshakable like Job. Yeah, weathering all sorts of storms. Royden? Yeah, hoping and trusting in all sorts of circumstances. Any other answers? Living as an example for other people. Paul? Obedience. Obedience. Yeah. Yeah, quoting the scripture from tonight. Someone was listening. (laughs) Write that down, guys. Write that down. So it's interesting to me that all these answers that we had, and I'm sure there were tons more in all of your conversation groups, when we talk about people of faith and when we remember people of faith, it's so rarely that we list the things that they believed. In fact, I don't think we ever really extol a great Christian's virtues by saying, you know, they really believed all the right stuff. We never whisper at a funeral, did you know that she had memorized both the apostles and the Nicene creeds? This is not what we talk about when we talk about lives of faith, is it? Or we don't criticize someone who's recently died by saying, you know, it's just too bad that they never fully grasped the Athanasian creed. They just never got there. They, They didn't really accomplish very much in their life. I can't say there was much faith there at all. It's, it's not really something that we do. And those things may be good, and it's certainly important that a life of faith is partly believing the right things, but importantly, it doesn't stop there. That's a given that we are people who believe things. That's necessarily true of a life of faith. But we, what we've identified for each other, at least partly tonight, is that a life of faith is remembered and defined by the actions which actually display that faith, being a good example for others, being obedient, weathering difficult storms. Now, before somebody gets too upset about the trajectory of this sermon, in the Reformed tradition, we do have something that's called sola fide, in faith alone, that we are justified before God not by our actions, but by our faith. And our scripture this evening affirms that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever approaches him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So I'm not talking about some kind of works-based righteousness here. That's not what this sermon is about at all. I'm not contradicting the call of the reformers on the 500th anniversary of their reformation. This is all faith-based. Don't worry about that. 
But just as the epistle to James tells us that faith without works is dead, that reality is embedded in our scripture text for us this evening too, and specifically in that verse from Hebrews. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. This is sola fide at its core, faith alone. Faith is necessary, but why is it necessary? It's necessary because whoever would seek God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There's belief. There's this belief in God and belief in the rewards of God. But the faith is the action of actually seeking God. It is the action of seeking God which reveals your belief in God and in God's goodness. If you do not seek God, you either don't believe that there is a God to seek or you don't believe that there is goodness in this God that you should seek. The seeking is faith made real. Faith, like so many words in the Christian lexicon, is an action word. And this chapter in the book of Hebrews, which goes on for some time, listing the great heroes of our faith, tries to make that as clear as it can, that faith is an action word. There is this litany of stories from the Old Testament about people of faith who believed in something, who held on to something, who knew about something that they could not understand, that they couldn't feel yet, that they couldn't see. When Abraham is told to leave his homeland, that's a request that doesn't make any sense. There's wealth that he's leaving behind, and there's family that can't come with him. All of his security and all of his connections are tied up in this place which is his home, and he's told to leave it without knowing where he's going next. Faith is that conviction that wherever the next is, that it's good and that it's worth going to and leaving home for it. Faith is the obedience of going even when you don't understand. But then, when Abraham does arrive, the author to the Hebrews makes a point to say that he lived in this new land as foreigners living in tents. It's temporary and it's tenuous. It's uncertain and it's certainly not ideal. He's arrived and he's living in tents when he could have lived in palaces back where he came from. And he's not young. In fact, the text makes it clear that he was, quote, as good as dead. And he didn't understand. Of course he didn't understand. He didn't get it because none of this makes sense. But faith is trusting even when we don't get it. Toward the end of the chapter, there's this litany of names without stories. And Rahab is one of those names. Rahab, by faith, receives two foreign spies into her home and defies the orders of the king of Jericho, hiding the spies and risking her own life. Already on the margins, with nothing to give and every meager thing that she had to lose, even her own life, she defied power and authority because she had faith in a God that she'd only heard whispers of, and she chose not to find her security in the walls of a strong city, but offered all that she had in the hopes of a better future. This is too big a risk for any reasonable person to take. But it is an action of faith to give, even when you don't have anything at all to give. It's for these reasons that this chapter of Hebrews opens with that saying that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
It's about this whole of life practice and behavior defined and compelled by our convictions, by our hopes. You see, our actions betray what we really believe. We cannot say that we truly believe something and then act as if we don't, to act as if it's not real at all. It is the conviction that God had given the land to the Israelites, something that she had heard rumors of but not seen, that caused Rahab to act in faith, putting her life in jeopardy, defying her king and helping the spies. If she hadn't truly believed those rumors, if she didn't have faith in the words that she heard whispered to her, why wouldn't she just turn over the spies and get on with her life? We see this played out in Abraham's life too. Promised a son, the doubt creeps into Abraham and Sarah. And it's put on display as Sarah encourages her husband to lie with her servant Hagar, who bears him a son, Ishmael. Their actions betray their convictions that this promise of God cannot be true how they've been told it. Their actions betray their disbelief and their questioning faith. And it takes a little correction for these two to be set right. But you see, in this whole litany of faith, none of these people were perfect. None of them were without their problems. None of them could have made it entirely on their own. But each of them exhibited faith at some pivotal moment. Each of them trusted in what they were told, but maybe couldn't completely understand yet. And they acted as if it were already true affirming their faith by their works. It's been mentioned that this is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And earlier in my sermon, I alluded to the fact that this tension between faith and works was kind of a big deal 500 years ago. And I think there's a healthy amount of apprehension that I feel when I preach on a topic which divided the church. But I, I should also note that for all the division this topic has caused and the connection between faith and work being wrestled through, we have grown together as a global church over these past many years. And we've even tried to grow together in these understandings soon after we grew apart. So quick church history lesson for you. I guess some of you, you who were at the formation day yesterday and did the history track may have heard about this. But in 1541, shortly after the Reformation began, there was a colloquy in Ratzenbon where the dividing churches tried to debate and wrestle through the problems that they were having with each other and try to reconcile with each other. The efforts in that colloquy, in fact, were supported by Calvin, who's sort of the figurehead of our tradition of the church. But it was quickly scuttled by other reformers and forgotten for nearly 500 years. It's only in the last few decades that churches have picked up this work again. And there's been a joint statement concerning the doctrine of, of justification. Justification is our being justified before God, no longer being seen as sinners and outcasts, but children and beloved. It's the thing which Protestants affirm happens by grace through faith alone. And after the Roman Catholic and the Lutheran churches both signed this joint understanding, the Methodist Church signed on soon after that. And I'm very pleased to say this past summer, the World Council of Reformed Churches signed this document as well. 500 years after the Reformation, where we split the church about some very important issues, 
we have resumed the work of reassociating our churches with each other and coming to understand the finer points of how faith influences our lives and influences our work. I think it's interesting that in signing the document, the World Council of Reformed Churches emphasized in our tradition a deep connection between justification and justice itself in our lives and in the world around us. Truly, if we believe that our faith has saved us and that, our, and that by our faith we are being made right and whole again, then, quote, we are drawn into the work of setting things right in the larger social context. What they're saying is that a life of faith is a justified life, and a justified life works out justice in the world. As we are remade into the person of Jesus Christ, we find that our desires become for the world to mirror that world of the kingdom of God. This becomes our sure and certain hope, in fact. Hebrews 11 puts it this way, all of these faithful people died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw them and they greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. People of faith are people seeking a homeland. They know that the way things are right now is not okay. And they see in the distance the promises of God for something better. And they don't just look away again, but they greet those promises. They start to welcome the kingdom of God into this world even now by making space for it to exist. They see poverty and they see scarcity around them and they desire and they work toward seeing wealth and abundance in those places. They see loneliness and they see despair and they long to see community and hope instead. They, they see discrimination and the systems of power in this world and they look for a world which values difference, which sees diversity as the manifold wisdom of God made real. These people are strangers and they are foreigners to the systems of this world which oppress and control and manipulate. And by faith, they begin to walk toward that still better thing, which they see off in the distance, greeting it as they know it to be as their truest friend and their real homeland, and trusting that one day they will know it and experience it because they have hoped for it and they have been assured of it because they are convicted about it and cannot yet fully see it. It is a real and a true faith which enables people to behave in these ways because there's a real and a true hope present there. We work toward these things because we believe that these things will come to be, that they're inevitable, in fact, that even if we do nothing about it, it will happen, so we may as well work toward it because we are guaranteed success in Jesus Christ, that the place where we belong, in fact, is the place where they are already and completely true. Of course, as people of faith over the last countless centuries, we know that it may not happen in our day. But because we so believe in that city with foundations whose architect and builder is God, we are actively seeking it out. And we cannot be seeking it out if we refuse to leave the walls of injustice, if we refuse to leave the comfort of what we see and feel and know already and to step into what is certain 
but yet intangible, what is assured but still only hoped for, if we will not truly believe that the promises of our God and the world we are being formed for will sustain us and protect us, I cannot be seeking God's heavenly city if I am at peace with and comforted by the cities which by faith our forebearers left behind, finding no opportunity to return to them. As I was reading through this whole chapter of Hebrews 11, over and over the same line kept jumping out at me. It says, if they had been thinking of the lands that they had left behind, they would have had an opportunity to return to it. Let's read, let me read that for you again. If they had been thinking of the land they left behind, they would have had an opportunity to return. These people are transformed by their faith and they're unable to go back because if their hopes were really about the land that they left behind, they would have gone back. They wouldn't have stayed away. In fact, they couldn't have stayed away. And so with us, if we think the kingdom of God is about a mansion that will receive and streets of gold, if that's our vision of the kingdom of God, we're going to find it. We're going to go back to it. We're going to live our whole lives toward that goal. We're going to seek to accomplish those things for ourselves even now. We're going to be greedy and we're going to be covetous and we're going to greet that land which we imagine is the kingdom. We'll return to what we wanted all along. And if we happen to think that the kingdom of God is about being safe and feeling unchallenged, we're going to return to the safe and unchallenged life wherever we can find it. Our faith will be in what offers the easiest path, even now, and our lives will reflect it. If we were happy before we encountered the gospel, if we were content feeling on top of the world and safe in the halls of injustice and power, and we didn't have a problem with how those places were constructed, we're going to fall back into all of that because that's what we've been thinking about as in place of God's kingdom. But people who live lives of faith are thinking about something like nothing they've ever seen before. Their lives are marked by restlessness and by pushing forward and never returning. If we are assured of the hope of things not yet seen, if we have convictions about what we cannot see, we will never be satisfied. We will always be searching out and going on. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, it continues, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. You see, God is not pleased with us if we are pleased with ourselves. God is not pleased with us if we are pleased with our lives as they are. If we feel that we've done all that we need to do, if we've reckoned our salvation with the works of our hands, no one can please God without faith. Rather, God is not ashamed to be called the God of the people who by faith are restless wanderers because they know that what they hoped for and what they hadn't found yet. God is pleased by their faith because they heard a good promise 
and they dared to set their vision on something that they were convicted of, knew that they were created for, knew that the world could eventually become, and yet could not see it in their lives. And so the question naturally becomes, what are we assured of? What are the things that we're hoping for as a church? Or in the language of the ongoing campaign, what are we ready for more of? Are we assured of that truth that Tiago and Natalia reminded us of? That nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And are we ready by faith to take the risks associated with that truth? What does it mean for Knox Church to be living a life of faith in this city? What dreams do we hold for our neighborhood, which we know will be true in God's kingdom, and so we can seek them out even now, greeting those promises from a distance? How restless are we really as a community, eager and longing for something better than what's behind us, something better than what's around us even now? What works overflow from our convictions, and what faith that can we proclaim tells us that we are aliens and foreigners to the ways that things are right now and citizens of a sure country that is yet to come? I think these are questions that we need to answer individually and as a church. And these questions are conversations that we've been having in lots of different ways. At the formation day yesterday, we were having these kinds of conversations. At the hands and feet event a few weeks ago, we were having these kinds of conversations. Every time we talk about a next step in our renewal process, we're having these kinds of conversations, and we need to engage in them because they're conversations about faith made real, about faith in our community and what we believe the kingdom of God is and looks like here at Knox Church and in the city of Toronto and around the world. So this week, I invite each of you to notice what it is that makes you uncomfortable, that unsettles you, that you know is not right and not just, that you know is a little strange and not the kingdom that you were made to live in. And then I invite you to consider what God's promise for that reality is. What's that better vision that you can be pushing toward and longing for? that you can be working on and acting out even now so you can greet that promise from a distance, knowing that you may not be able to affect all the change in that area, but trusting that the city you hope for, the city we long for, is coming. And so we need to work toward it even now. Because, brothers and sisters, our God revealed himself to be a God of the desert who promised vineyards to his people. And so his people are a wandering people who walk in faith toward a promise that they cannot see but have a certain hope within. The life of faith, then, is a wandering life with the promise of a still better world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. God, you've always called your people out in faith. You give commands and ask that they be obeyed and not questioned, trusting that you have goodness in mind for your people. You invite people into strange situations that are uncomfortable and uncertain, 
and expect that people would know that they are for their good and there's something better beyond the horizon which they have the opportunity to push toward and the assurance that one day they will be invited into. And so we pray that for our lives, that individually and as a community, we would be able to hear your voice calling us out in faith and that we would have the boldness to act in faith, to put our hands and our feet and our hearts and all of who we are to work for your kingdom, desiring that still better country, being restless and wandering when necessary, but knowing that you guide our steps. We pray that you would continue to do your work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.